welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. Reports by global human rights organizations continue to paint a troubling picture of the threats to activists who are standing up for indigenous people in Latin American countries. Mexico, Colombia, Brazil, and Guatemala are among the hotspots where land and cultural activists face a constant threat of violence for speaking out against developments like logging, mining, and fossil fuel drilling. Today we'll get updates on specific cases and learn what's being done to protect those who are putting their lives on the line for their people. We're back right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Alaska Congresswoman Mary Peltola and other House Democrats say they're worried the U.S. Supreme Court is about to weaken the Indian Child Welfare Act to the detriment of Native children and their tribes. Peltola, the first Alaska Native person elected to Congress, previously worked as a tribal court judge, where child custody cases were a mainstay. At a congressional roundtable Tuesday, Peltola stressed the importance of keeping children with their families or placing them within their tribe. I think for every single human group ever in existence, children are precious. Children are our future. Um, And certainly for Natives, it is no different. The Supreme Court is expected to rule soon on a challenge to ICWA brought by the state of Texas and a group of non-Native adoptive parents. They say the Indian Child Welfare Act makes unconstitutional distinctions based on race. Supporters of ICWA say it's based on tribal affiliation. Congress passed the law to reverse the wholesale alienation of children from their tribes. New York University law professor Maggie Blackhawk says the trend reached terrifying levels by the 1950s and 60s. State governments separated over 100,000 of the estimated 400,000 Native children from their parents and placed those children in homes with no political, culture, cultural, or linguistic connection to their nations. The case is called Brackeen versus Holland. The justices heard arguments in November. A ruling is expected by the end of June. For nearly two decades, a North Dakota county elected local commissioners in a way that did not comply with a consent decree concerning Native American interests. Advocates say a settlement has been reached to ensure a fair system is reestablished. Mike Moen reports. The Native American Rights Fund recently announced the pending agreement with Benson County. In 2000, a court order spurred by a Department of Justice filing said the county's choice of an at-large election process diminished the political power of natives in the area. But in 2004, the county went back to that process. NARF attorney Michael Carter says recent census figures show natives deserve greater representation. The county had a majority Native American population. However, there was only one Native American serving on the board. The group, which represented the Spirit Lake tribe, contends the county's actions violated the Federal Voting Rights Act. The Benson County State's Attorney calls the settlement a good result. He notes that in 2004, the commission responded to a shift in Native population numbers and didn't think the original decree was permanent. In a phased-in structure, the new agreement gives Native voters an opportunity to elect three candidates of their choice to the Benson County Board of Commissioners. Carter says cases like this one stem from a project NARF launched in 2020 to work with tribes around the country on redistricting efforts 
and the importance of fair political maps. These are ongoing issues that, you know, require the local voters to stay engaged and stay informed about what county and local officials are doing. The organization is involved in a pair of other legal cases concerning redistricting in North Dakota and its impact on Native American voters. Those lawsuits are related to legislative seats. Carter says one they filed is scheduled to go to trial in June. That was Mike Moen. This week, Orlando Teller, a member of the Navajo Nation, was sworn in as the first ever Assistant Secretary for Indian Affairs at the U.S. Department of Transportation. The new position was established under the infrastructure law, creating the Office of Tribal Affairs to serve under the U.S. Transportation Secretary. Navajo leaders were among those to join Teller in Washington, D.C. for the swearing-in ceremony. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the National Indian Education Association's 54th Convention and Trade Show held in Albuquerque starting October 18th. Education Sovereignty. It begins with us. Early bird registration ends July 18th at NIEA.org. Support by Ramona Farms, offering wholesome and delicious foods from our heirloom crops as our contribution to a better diet for the benefit of all people. We are honored to share our centuries-old farming and culinary traditions online at RamonaFarms.com. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy, sitting in for Sean Spruce. In certain Latin American countries, standing up for indigenous rights is pretty dangerous. In a new report, the human rights organization Frontline Defenders uh, counts the deaths of more than 400 activists in 2022, mostly in Latin American countries. That is significantly higher than the year before, and the group says almost half of them were actively defending indigenous people's rights to land and culture against developments like mines, forest cleaning, and um, forest clean clearing and oil pipelines. Very often, crimes against indigenous people go unsolved. A recent spate of violence against indigenous activists spurred Brazil's new Ministry of Indigenous Peoples to set up a crisis office to ensure what they say is a vigorous investigation of criminals. But activists criticize the pace and sincerity of Brazil's new measures. We're going to get some updates on all of this today. You can join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us now from Houston, Texas, is Maria Martin. She's an award-winning multimedia journalist, the funding executive director of Latina USA, and the director of Gracias Vida Center for Media. Welcome to Native America Calling, Maria. I'm so glad to be with you, even though we're talking about an extremely tragic topic. Um, and uh, you have to forgive me that circumstances. Uh, I am getting my uh, passport uh, because I'm going back to Guatemala where I'm based 
uh, this Sunday. So the only place to do this interview is the coffee shop of the Mickey Leland Federal Building here in Houston. So forgive me for that. But yes, Andy, this is a, an extremely worrying, tragic, the, the words do, do, do not uh, say enough uh, about what is happening in Latin America, where um, uh, topping the list of uh, the deaths is, is uh, Colombia, uh, followed by Mexico and then Guatemala and in Honduras, you know, 4% of the world's population, as I understand it, is indigenous, but it, indigenous leaders make up a third of the number of environmental defenders um, killed uh, around, um, around the world. I have been covering this from the region of Central America where Honduras and and Guatemala top the list of uh, people who have been killed, who have been disappeared, who have been, and more and more what's happening is the use of the, of the justice system to criminalize um, environmental leaders, uh, land right leaders, um, water protectors, and, and indigenous political leaders as well. And um, somebody called it the, the, the killing by, by the justice system that in Guatemala, where we had a horrendous genocide, a civil war that lasted 36 years, where most of the 200,000 victims were indigenous. Now what is happening in so many, many communities are attacks against indigenous people in general and against the leaders of civil groups, of environmental groups, of political groups. Wow. Wow. Um, so what are the factors that contribute to violence and human rights violations against indigenous people in Guatemala? I mean, why are they being uh, targeted this way? Well, first of all, there's historically been for as you know, for many, many centuries, just a, a racist treatment of the indigenous people. Uh, they have been marginalized, um, and, 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 and that is still the case in general. Add on top of that, um, you know, the, so what should we say, the, the aggressive uh, corporate interest in countries like Guatemala and in, in Latin America. So we have mining interests, as you said. Uh, you have agro-industry, the palm oil industry that is taking over swaths of land that are uh, traditional indigenous lands. There are infrastructure uh, projects um, such as the Tren Maya, the Maya train, uh, that is a corridor, the inter-oceanic corridor that goes through Mexico and uh, Central America. So it's, it's not only the leaders who are being attacked. We have hundreds and hundreds, thousands of communities that are being affected by all of, all of these projects that in many cases, there is no consultation of the native people who, who have lived in that land uh, for centuries when um, when when this happens and a, this is also happening uh, at a time uh, certainly in the last five years so here you have 
countries said were just fragile democracies, right? Very, very fragile. The, the wars ended um, in the late 80s, in the early 90s. So they've only had a few decades to make that fragile uh, process to democratic uh, structures in terms of the justice system, the police force, etc. But what we're seeing now in Nicaragua, in um, to a great extent Honduras, so we, the, the jury is still out of the new administration that is barely a year old. Um, and in, in, in Guatemala, you have a backtracking of the rule of law and, and of democracy. So the interests that have basically ruled Guatemala, you know, those elite families um, working in conjunction now with organized crime and add to that government corruption, add uh, uh, to that, as you said, a high level of impunity for the murders of these indigenous leaders, right? And um, and you have the situation that you have, which is just a, a tragedy of immense proportions. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, you mentioned the jury is still out on the new administration, but uh, do you think public pressure from uh, global uh, rights groups and global exposure, uh, do you think that's going to make a, a change uh, sometime in the future or do you see it making a change now? Well, I, I can only tell you by what's the situation that is going on in in Guatemala, not only as it regards these attacks on indigenous leaders, but on journalists, on independent judges, um, on anti-corruption actors in general, on people who have been working for change. So many of them have not only been attacked or criminalized, but uh, you know have had to leave the country. When we look at, you know, people talk about the crisis the crisis on the border, and uh, you know, I, I've, I've been in the, back in the U.S. for a, just a few weeks now, and and nobody talks about why. You know, <laughs> it's just all these people are here, and they've heard it. They've heard it on on social media that the border is going to be open. People, why would people put themselves through this horrible? the risk, the, the discomfort, the sacrifice of coming here because the situation uh, for so many people, including indigenous people, uh, much more so perhaps for indigenous people, uh, is, is, is so hard, right? And, um, and so, so uh, when you talk about pressure, uh, in, in Guatemala, we're I'm more familiar with, with, with that situation. Um, indigenous rights leaders and civil society people say, you know, we're, that's great that, you know, people tweet, this is terrible. But I, 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 I think that there has to be stronger action so that in addition to, so, so that there's pressure on our government to put pressure on the governments down there, much more than, 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 than they've done so, so far, because they are counting on the governments to 
be the wall that keeps the people out, right? Mm. And so they're not that they're not that strong. Plus, it's it's international corporate interests that are in many cases causing this suffering. You know, in Honduras, uh, hiring the the hit people that were the first ones, for instance, who were um, convicted of the murder of in uh, Berta Cáceres, a very well-known, respected environmental and indigenous rights leader who was murdered, you know, seven years ago. And unfortunately, um, those who do not want the kinds of changes, the kinds of protection that Berta Cáceres asked for, for the rivers, for traditions, for her communities, mm-hmm. still feel that they can get away with killing so many people in the Baja Awan region of Honduras just since December. Six rights activists fighting the palm oil industry have been have been killed okay. just in in that one region, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, uh, you know, we you mentioned uh, Berta Cassidus. We uh, actually did a show on um, her her uh, work and her legacy and her death uh, when it happened uh, on Native America Calling a couple of years ago, if you want to go back in our archives. Uh, We're going to be back after this break. It's a big time of year for students reaching that major milestone, graduation. High school and college graduates get their diploma and set off on a new journey using their new educational tools. We'll take a moment to recognize Native graduates on the next Native America Calling. Yate, you look after everyone else. Look after yourself too. Check out these healthcare resources for Native women at all stages of life. For more information, visit go.cms.gov slash women's health checklist. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, Ajeja. You are listening to Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. We're talking about the threats that indigenous activists in Latin America face when speaking up for their land and culture against large development operations. We'll talk more about this with our guests, but you're welcome to join the conversation too. Give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us now from Cambridge, Massachusetts is Americo Mendoza-Mori. He is a scholar who teaches Indigenous and Latinx issues at Harvard University. Welcome to Native America Calling Americo. Hello, um, everyone. I was greeting you in Quechua, a language spoken in, in South America. Uh, happy to be with you and, and the audience. 
All right. Happy to have you on the show. Uh, so just before the show started, you were telling me that you were just recently in New York at the United Nations Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues. Uh, what was mentioned about indigenous protectors of land and culture from uh, Latin America? Thank you. One, one thing that maybe um, would be interesting to reflect on in connection to the forum is that whenever we think of indigenous activists, uh, uh, we don't necessarily see them also as diplomats. But basically, that's what many communities do, and they have always done that. Indigenous communities uh, need to negotiate with nation states. That happens here in the United States. But that also happens in, in Latin America. So more um, indigenous communities across the globe, particularly in the case of Latin America, they are becoming more aware that their activism needs to also be channeled through international platforms. And that's why in this last edition, there was an important group of communities from across the Americas to make connections with their pressing issues to, uh, and uh, public policy or other kind of conversations that are happening um, at the UN, such as climate change uh, and human rights. In the case of uh, Latin America, people use a, a work uh, at an umbrella organization called FILAC, which is the acronym of uh, the, the translation would be the, the, the gathering or the funding for the development of indigenous peoples of Latin America and the Caribbean. And, and from there, they're trying to facilitate mentorship uh, and, and, uh, in education, leadership, and presence of, in like, local governments. Uh, so indigenous voices can have an impact and dialogue the bureaucratic dynamics of um, of these of many issues that sometimes are automatically dismissed or they are repressed in very violent ways. So um, and 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 that's I think one of the key aspects that the forum is trying to address. And we're we're seeing that echo in uh, at the forum at this year's forum. We had the presence of uh, Secretary Deb Holland from the United States and Gustavo Petro, the president of Colombia, who was actually talking about the importance of generating, uh, for example, debt forgiveness in exchange of uh, uh, supporting initiatives of land protection for indigenous communities. So um, right now, the, the, that, that would be an, uh, something to point out to, to bring attention to on how these other platforms are also spaces to raise, a, a, let's say, indigenous activism as well. Right, right. Um, you know, it seems there's a lot of this happening at uh, this big uh, global level, these uh, conversations about protecting uh, indigenous um, uh, environmentalists and protectors. Uh, how do you see that um, maybe actually taking place uh, on the ground? How do you see it being implemented at uh, the different, like, uh, uh, maybe federal government uh, levels all the way down to uh, the, the community and maybe even grassroots? 
So um, that's a that's a very good question. I think the the the, indigenous, the different indigenous organizations are doing a good job on navigating both the global and local environments, and that's why they're trying to mentor, especially the youth. There is a specific office called the Global Indigenous Caucus for for anyone in the audience actually who knows youth who would like to become leadership or, or would like to channel. Um, initiatives in connection to their communities that actually can join and apply. So they, uh, so through a, a, the Global Indigenous Caucus or, or, or to specific in, uh, organizations, for example, I'm familiar with one in particular called Chirapaj, <clears throat> which is a Quechua organization in, in Peru. They do first um, raise awareness. They try to, um, about the issues, like to connect them as, as something that we should all care. Sometimes we might not be familiar with a particular context, uh, for example, in the Andes or in the Amazon, but if, if we frame them as how this has an impact to humankind at large and how other aspects such as human rights, economic development, and other issues are being impacted, then um, then people can pay more attention to that, uh, especially because usually behind many of the abuses of uh, uh, environmental abuses, there are big transnational companies uh, that are based most in most of the cases in the global north. In the case of the Amazon and in the Andes, uh, uh, many of the environmental issues that have even uh, taking lives from indigenous activists are uh, drug trafficking, uh, mining, uh, logging, and 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 in, in a case that I'm particularly more familiar is also the, the the logging or the deforestation because of the production of of uh, palm oil in the Amazon. Right. Right. And uh, the Amazon is a very significant part of uh, Latin America and, um, you know, a very important uh, ecosystem. Um, and and uh, palm oil is one of those things that um, a lot of uh, these big development companies are after. And, um, you know, what, what kind of... Uh, you know, what kind of threats do uh, activists face when they stand up to uh, some of these big uh, companies and uh, cartels when it when it comes to, um, you know, uh, standing up to the big palm oil uh, companies? Yeah, so one one of uh, one of the biggest threats of um, of palm oil is first is that it, it um, the logging moves into monoculture. And that's terrible for the for the ecosystem in the Amazon, and also is because then these companies that actually some of them are sponsored by by the by the U.S. government in Peru recently, they um, encourage people from cities or from other parts to invade indigenous territories and claim them as places so they can grow. Palm oil, and once uh, they do that, then they are backed by these companies uh, to try to push for legislation to don't recognize these areas as indigenous territories. And 
and because now we're talking about uh, not just a confrontation between companies, but people from other cities who are being told to occupy those spaces now is a is a matter between civilians who are fighting for a territory, uh, while at the same time um, there's huge uh, damage to the environment. And the same that uh, as, as, as it happens with palm oil, it happens with the other industries. Like recently, for example, in the case of uh, narcotraffic, uh, indigenous leader Santiago Contoricón uh, was recently killed in April in the in the Peruvian Amazon, and it, it, it seems to believe that it was because of, of of drug trafficking and the same dynamics. Like people are being told to take territories to grow uh, coca leaves for the production of of drugs, and and then it becomes a conflict not between these big mafias, but just between people who are being told to take these territories. And and maybe just a side note for, for the U.S. audience, coca leaves are actually not drugs, actually. Uh, this is a, a traditional uh, plant that people use for many purposes, for from tea production to ceremonial rituals. But unfortunately, after the coca leaf goes through a very complicated chemical process, it turns into cocaine. Uh, but in this particular case, we're talking about drug trafficking. Yeah. Um, so what is the the relationship between indigenous communities and the government? It, it's not the same as here where we have uh, like federally recognized tribes. Can, can you explain um, that relationship? Yeah, so um, it's unfortunately, depending on the country, very blurry. And at the same time, because of the informality of, of certain laws and how some laws are overlooked, it cannot depend on the administration that is in charge. In theory, there well, there is first at the global level, and that's where the global level is important, there's the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples that was declared about 15 years ago. And, uh, and that offers a general framework, and then many countries can adapt uh, uh, on the way how they recognize uh, indigenous communities. Uh, many, in many countries, for example, in the case of, of Peru, their, uh, their, uh, the recognition of indigenous communities has varied. For example, for some administrations, it's any organized group in particular regions of the country. But we have had in the past presidents who, under their criteria, indigenous peoples are people who are not in contact with with so-called civilization. So as, as soon as someone gets in contact or lives in cities or nearby cities, they could lose the status of indigenous person. And, and for example, just a few years ago, somebody, uh, it, technically there is Indian, uh, an equivalent with a U.S. equivalent of Indian law and Indian justice or indigenous justice. Uh, but when one person was taken into a trial under that system, he was not. Uh, he, he was denied that system because that person had a master's degree, mm. and that, this, in theory, disqualified him to be indigenous. So, um, unfortunately, uh, the short answer is that it varies depending yeah. on the potential context. Yes. Yeah. 
All right. Thank you for that um, uh, complicated <laughs> definition there, uh, Americo. Uh, I'd like to bring in two other guests here. Uh, joining us from Western Panama is Nancy Garcia. She's a capacity building manager for culture, cultural survival, and she's Maya mom. Uh, welcome to Native America Calling, Nati. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining. And um, also from Cultural Survival, he is the lead in Brazil, but he's joining us from Vienna, Austria today, uh, Edison Kranak, and he's also uh, Kranak descent. Uh, welcome to Native America Calling, Edison. Hello, Nancy, Andy, hello everyone. Uh, thank you for having me. It's thank a pleasure to be here. Yes, yes. Thank you for joining. Uh, so, uh, Neti, I want to start with you. Um, uh, cultural survival works on behalf of indigenous people all over the globe. Uh, what are some places our audience should know about where indigenous people face uh, uh, persecution? They are targeted because they are um, uh, standing up against large uh, companies like we just mentioned mining companies oil uh, extraction, um, big, big ag companies. Uh, what are what are some um, places we should know about? I, it, it's, it's a global issue, and I think that's something that we do our best to cover as an organization. But um, narrowing it down to specific communities, um, it is a bit challenging because there's many communities, are, particularly indigenous communities, are impacted because um, their territories are... Um, are full of wealth and and a lot of um, uh, a lot of nutrients and a lot of uh, abundance of um, biodiversity are in primarily indigenous territories where a lot of uh, natural resources are also uh, based. Uh, Colombia is as as um, the former journalist mentioned um, is is one of the uh, countries where there are, are over a hundred and three indigenous communities um, home to that country, uh, the colonial titled uh, Colombia. And um, out of those numbers, about 34 indigenous um, communities are more at risk and are close to extinction. And also in the territories of the northern of Ecuador in the Amazon region as well, there's a lot of indigenous communities there who are facing a lot of um, contamination and resource extraction, particularly uh, against petroleum uh, and uh, a little bit of uh, illegal construction uh, that's occurring in their territories. And, and in Central America, uh, I can speak particularly within Costa Rica. I know Costa Rica is seen as a country that's um, very um, touristic and um, it, it seems like a, a peace, uh, peaceful country, you could say, in comparison to all of the other countries in Central America. However, there are indigenous communities that live in, in in Costa Rica, particularly who have been displaced and forced within the southern part of Costa Rica, where they are faced against um, palm um, palm oil uh, companies, uh, they're under this um, movement of land uh, recovery, uh, and there has been two assassinations uh, that has occurred um, recently in the recent years. Uh, with uh, indigenous communities in Costa Rica. So there's a lot of threats happening to the indigenous community there that's not really vocalized or uh, uh, put in the international platforms. Uh, so we can, I can speak to those as well. 
got it um so we're gonna go to a break in just a little bit but i wanted to um ask about languages and language barriers uh, there there are many many uh different indigenous languages spoken there how does that factor into um all of this here nati hey. I think when we're talking about languages, there's different systems of languages as well. There's the internal language of communicating, um, and that's a tremendous barrier for many Indigenous communities who are at risk in losing their language, who are also trying the best to recover their language, and then they're in different levels and in different, um, uh, different um, come from different experiences um, within within um, strengthening language. But also there's the situation of the the legal system. Okay. All right, uh, Nati, we'll be back after this break and continue with our discussion on uh, uh, Indigenous languages. This Mother's Day, you can give all the mothers in your life truly unique gifts from SweetGrassTradingCo.com, a Ho-Chunk Inc. company, where you can choose from a variety of food, beauty, and wellness items from tribes across Turtle Island. Ho-Chunk Inc. supports this show. Support from the Self-Governance Communication and Education Tribal Consortium, presenting the 2023 Tribal Self-Governance Conference at the River Spirit Resort starting June 26th. Registration closes June 23rd at TribalSelfGov.org. You are listening to Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. We're talking about the danger, dangerous work of indigenous Latin American activists. What do you think can be done in countries that foster violence against indigenous people in the way of development? There's still time to join our conversation. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That is also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Um, I'd like to go back to our guest in Panama, uh, Nati Garcia, with uh, cultural survival. Uh, Nati, you were just um, uh, talking about this like legal aspect of indigenous languages. Can you uh, continue with that? Uh, yeah. Um the question you asked in regards to the indigenous languages, um, the many are at risk um, from being displaced um, from the territories and languages is really connected to to the land for us as indigenous people. Um, there's so much reference in our language and our way of speaking to the land. So when the land is taken or when indigenous communities are displaced, you lose you lose that you there's a fragment that occurs within the language. And also there's a barrier within having to communicate because most of the legal contents uh, or any uh, colonial um, system is really in, in a different language, not in a native language to the indigenous communities. So that creates a lot of barrier in having to uh, advocate or vocalize um, any concerns that they're facing, any threats that they may facing because uh, it's usually in a colonial language. And th I think that's why there's a lot of, um, that's why not a lot of um, indigenous communities have um, put into courts or have denounced any of the threats that they, they face or the violence that they face um, throughout their lifetime uh, because of this uh, limitation and barrier that they face. And I think um, that's why for us as cultural survival, we really advocate for, um, 
creating more spaces in recovery in indigenous languages and also giving accessibility to um, be informed on on their rights and their free and fire informed consent as well is a major um, tool that we use in advocating for indigenous people to protect the territories um, and defend the territories because um, everything is connected to the land and when you take that away there's a lot at risk it's not just the language it's also the culture it's the traditional practices um, and this is an intergenerational impact and when the land is taken there's also a lot of violence that, that increases as well um, this could be domestic violence, this could be uh, lateral violence, this could be also um, violence from, from mega projects that are entering into the territories um, because of this um, disconnection to the land. And I think this is a major concern that's uh, happening along around the globe um, to indigenous communities, um, particularly in Colombia as well. Uh, one of the most um, indigenous communities are constantly at threat and persecution is a mass of people just to speak to there's many other indigenous communities as well but um, there has been a lot of um, assassinations a lot of murders disappearance uh, with the NASA people uh, in Colombia which is the southern islands of Colombia and uh, the department of Cauca um, for those who may not be familiar with Colombia and I think um, it's important for us to really uh, voice uh, these stories and that's something that we do and provide the tools and capacity and support for the indigenous communities to continue defending the territories. And one of the ways that we do support that is through uh, community media, community radio. Uh, I know mapping the territories as well, like for indigenous communities to be able to create their own narratives, to be able to receive capacity, technical to capacity as well, so that they know how to map their territories, know which areas are being contaminated, which areas are being illegally um, uh, illegally um, operated by uh, mega projects without their authorization. Uh, drones has been a component that has been really a big tool for some indigenous communities to locate certain um, operations of particularly narco operations in their territories that sometimes doesn't always visually get seen uh, and walking walking takes a bit longer. So um, that's one of the ways that we have been able to see how we can support. But there, uh, I think it's going into also international platforms and vocalizing uh, the situation that indigenous communities are facing um, in the United Forums. You got the COP, the COPs as well that occur. We got other international platforms where these voices and situations aren't really uh, spoken about. And I think we really need to just um, give the opportunity to to listen. I think um, there's not enough spaces such as here to be informed of the situation that's helping South because the South is connected to the North as well. The North, um, there's a, a shared responsibility for for people who live in North America as well or in Europe. And because most of these companies that finance these mega projects that are entering into these indigenous territories are based and registered in North America or in Europe countries are uh, more westernized colonial countries um so i think it's it's important to recognize that and have accountability and um raise more consciousness and awareness all right 
And uh, about the pandemic, uh, how did the pandemic kind of put a wrench in things for uh, Indigenous activists in that area? I mean, how did it kind of change the environment that they um, operate in? Well, the pandemic, for many um, of the countries in the South, uh, in Latin America, uh, the pandemic actually uh, created a militarization uh, component. It was an opportunity for state governments to uh, militarize uh, and control uh, many of the the territory, indigenous territories and civilians in general uh, from uh, leaving their homelands. Um, so a lot of uh, movements and actions uh, in safeguarding their territories uh, were at risk because of not being able to leave their homes. And there was a huge increase of um, concessions, of uh, mining concessions, um, oil concessions that were authorized for some um, countries in in the south uh, because these and some operations continued um, while the civilians were being told not to leave their home. However, uh, corporate organized companies were able to continue operating on during the pandemic and uh, there was so much at threat. And there was no justice that was um, provided for many of these communities. And I think the pandemic kind of impacted it in that way. And also a pro to that experience could be that there was more organization that needed to occur um, within internally within uh, indigenous communities. And that's something that um, was um, was um, taken. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I'd like to go over to uh, Edson Kernak, uh, cultural survival lead on, in Brazil. Um, but he's joining us from Vienna, Austria right now. Uh, but uh, Edson, um, you're hearing the conversations so far. You're hearing about, um, you know, how global uh, human rights groups are, um, you know, putting the word out there about the plight of indigenous activists and um, the impunity that a lot of these um you know, uh, um, you know, sometimes criminals and then uh, companies have when they are targeting uh, indigenous people and communities. Um, you know, what what is the best way to get through to envir- uh, to governments and government officials about uh, these these issues here? How how can they hear? Um, you know, in, indigenous voices. It, it kind of seems so far there's there's no regard for indigenous voices. Thank you, Andy, for for the important question. Uh, uh, actually, uh, if we see in a context of uh, this uh, global uh, tendency movement of uh, extreme uh, right wing governments uh, that. Uh, prioritize uh, agenda that is capitalist, is oppressive, is a agenda anti-indigenous peoples, uh, has been very, very difficult. The last uh, years, uh, uh, the violence against indigenous people increased, but we we have also, at the same time, the, the global movement of indigenous peoples, uh, especially related to advocacy, has also increased a lot 
we have discovered and working together uh, to, to find the platforms to voice our issues and to force uh, governments uh, through uh, uh, national opinion, international opinion, the civil society to help us, to support us on our fight against the governments. Governments in general, they are afraid of uh, a civil opinion. They are afraid of civil movement. They are afraid of the streets. They are afraid of when the people unite to fight for justice. And then uh, besides this activism work we do, we, wor we also work uh, with uh, UN, the United Nations bodies for justice, like uh, the, the, the international courts, the, the UN, Committee for uh, Human Rights and Discrimination Against Indigenous Peoples and the Local Communities, and uh, filing reports uh, requesting special repertoires to, to conduct study and investigations on the actions of those uh, uh, states and uh, their governments. Uh, it is not an easy task, but it's critical, it's important, uh, and also important the 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 to to voice to share these these tasks our work and the the role of uh, civil society the role of our allies other organizations on this task because protecting indigenous peoples uh, it has is is almost a synonym of protecting the environment because we are protecting the stewards of the, the nature, the stewards of the environment, the bio biodiversity of the planet that is the, is the core to, to sustain life on the planet. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, th there's kind of been a change of attitude uh, towards indigenous people in uh, the Brazilian government, or maybe it seems so. Um, I, I would like to know more about um, you know how the current president of Brazil, um, you know, is uh, working with indigenous people. You know what his uh, uh, relationship is like with indigenous people compared to the former president uh, Bolsonaro. Well, uh, these two presidents, they were, they are very, very uh, different. Of course, the, uh, Bolsonaro, uh, also if, a little bit before him, we had like uh, a powerful agenda anti-Indigenous peoples. Bolsonaro, during the, his campaign, he promised that he would, uh, uh, he wouldn't demarcate one centimeter of Indigenous lands. In Brazil, the demarcation of indigenous lands, uh, which um, uh, stands for the, the entitlement of the, these lands, uh, is uh, signed by the, the president of the, the republic. Uh, that's why the president has a, a huge impact, his actions uh, on indigenous peoples. And Bolsonaro had a very uh, clear agenda anti uh, against indigenous peoples. And he promised, he accomplished his promise that not demarcate uh, uh, indigenous lands, but not only that, he also created, fostered, promoted, and implemented several policies that impacted severely indigenous peoples. The new president, uh, Lula da Silva, 
in his campaign, he also uh, worked with indigenous people, promising them that they, they, he would take a historical step to protect indigenous people and to recognize the rights of indigenous people in the country. He truly did that. He invited Sonia Guajajara to be the first ever uh, minister, indigenous minister uh, uh, in the country. And we have now a, a minister, a ministry of uh, indigenous affairs. I could uh, roughly translate that way, but it's a very important ministry. Uh, however, if you if you see uh, uh, the the news in the country, uh, these decisions uh, has uh, are facing a lot of uh, reactions, very bad reaction from uh, powerful groups, especially from agro business. Uh, that's one of the the biggest, uh, the the most powerful uh, lobby uh, in the country in the the Congress House, the in the Senate. They are very powerful, and they are uh, really uh, representing now the biggest threat against all these policies that are coming to benefit and protect indigenous peoples in the country. Uh, we we are uh, work and hope, but we are also work with uh, asking uh, a lot of wisdom, a lot of guidance to to our ancestors, to our uh, elders, because it's really not easy scenario. The the things are to change, but has not changed yet. Okay. What would uh, what would um, you know an advocacy group like Cultural Survival? Uh, what would you guys like to see um, in the future? What would progress be uh, looking like in the future? Well, we Cultural Survival has been doing amazing work uh, by showing the link between uh, multinational companies. Uh, especially North American, European uh, companies, corporations related to the main areas uh, already cited here, mentioned by my my fellow colleagues, uh, mining and uh, uh, agribusiness. Uh, these uh, two areas, uh, cultural survival has been showing by uh, the articles, the work we do, uh, how these two areas link with the impact of indigenous peoples, they are suffering, they are uh, facing their territories. Uh, the more consumption we have in the global north, more those corporations go after indigenous territories. Mm -hmm. Then we, by showing this link, by sharing this link and also working to to with our communities, indigenous communities all over the world, how to prepare better in capacity building, in advocacy, also supporting them in uh, grant uh, grant making uh, programs we have, uh, supporting their local uh, programs, their local programs to support their languages, their agriculture, their uh, uh, forms uh, of of life of ec local economy etc okay. i'm sorry so much for that um edison this is the end of the show challenges to societal harmony abound trauma depression addiction in native communities these challenges affect nearly everyone 
The Native American Social Work Studies Institute educates social workers for careers to address the needs of Native communities. You can be part of the solution as a peer support worker, community health worker, or a counselor with culturally relevant training from the Native American Social Work Studies Institute. Info at online.nmhu.edu. New Mexico Highlands University supports this show. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.